Good evening to you all and welcome to our service this evening. Numbers are a wee bit down, hopefully they'll come in, but at least all the good singers are here, so we'll be able to sing out. Let's turn in our hymn books, just keeping our seats for a couple of hymns. 392, if you want to follow the book. Uh, 392, O happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Saviour and my God. Well, may this glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. 392, will they have it on the screen? <clears throat> Just the first little hymn just to commence our time with tonight. It was a happy day for me at the age of seven as in carried off Baptist Church. Pastor Lyle was preaching and I knew that uh, if I hadn't trusted the Lord even that night would I be spoken to or challenged to challenge like that in that way again. He was speaking on the Lord coming back and I knew I wasn't ready and when we went home at my bedside my mother led me to Christ and that's quite a wee while ago at the age of seven and what a day that was. Maybe as you're singing that hymn you can rejoice in the day that you gave your life to the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and you haven't trusted the Lord and that's why these meetings are convened friend that you would come to Christ and we would certainly urge you to do that even this evening. Another little hymn we'll sing again the first and last verse 469 it is when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word what a glory he sheds on our way while we do his good will he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. First and last verse of 469. Again, keeping our seats.
singing voice, we'll turn now to number 541, a hymn that we know well and sing well with harps and with viols. There stands a great throng in the presence of Jesus and sings this new song unto him who hath loved us and washed us from sin. Unto him be the glory forever. Amen. Now there's five verses in it. We'll split in verses three. We'll have the ladies in verse three and we'll have the men on verse four. So bear that in mind. Ladies in verse three and all the men on verse four. So let's stand this time and sing our opening hymn. Let's just bring the meeting before the Lord and ask for the Lord's blessing on our gathering together this evening. Let's all pray. Our God and our Father, we do thank you again just for the opportunity of gathering in thy house this evening. We thank you for this lovely day you've gave us. We thank you just for the health and strength, Lord, that affords us to be out again at the meeting this evening. Uh, but Lord, we just bring the entirety of this meeting before thee. We recognize, Lord, that we need Thee. We recognize that we are dependent on Thee for this meeting, and especially Thy servant, Lord, as he will open Thy precious word, and as he will share the word that You have laid in his heart. Father, we pray as he is dependent on Thee that he might know and that he might just have that unction from Thyself this evening, Lord. We pray that You might hide him behind the cross and that he might be conscious of Your leading in every way. Bless him as he would share a word of testimony, how You saved him how you brought him through, how you brought him into the ministry of the word. And so we pray that you would bless him as he testifies. But Lord, for the meeting, we just pray that for the, the entirety of the meeting, Lord, that your name will be honored and glorified. We thank you for your word this morning, our Father. We thank you just for the challenge of your word as it has went forth, both to the boys and girls in the meeting here. We think of the 
meeting in the afternoon, Lord. We thank you for help given to Gareth there, Lord, and for those who don't know the Savior in the nursing home today, Lord. We pray that they might even mull over, as we would say, all that they've heard today, and that you would bring conviction even to the hearts of the elderly in the home there, Lord. So we, we just pray for every similar gathering right up and down this little province tonight, Lord, where your word will be faithfully proclaimed. We pray that the seed, Lord, that is sown tonight indeed will bear much fruit. And so, Lord, we look to thee for this week that we have entered. We recognize, Lord, none of us know what a day may bring forth. And we pray, Lord, as we have commenced this week in your house, Lord, as we have spent time uh, even around the table this morning remembering our lovely Savior and what he has done for each and every one of us. As we have entered this week, Lord, that we might serve thee as we ought to, that we might serve thee, Lord, in an acknowledgement of what it cost thee to bear our sin. And so we would, as we would reach out this week, Lord, we pray that you would just help us to do just that and to bear your name before those whom we come in contact with. But Lord, for this meeting tonight, we just pray indeed that your name would be honored and glorified. For we ask it in our lovely Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Now, Brian will come and make the announcements, please. Well, good evening. Can I also welcome you this evening? We're glad to see you and we welcome you in the Lord's name this evening. Maybe I can see you, but I can't see my announcements if I've got my glasses, so I did. But so if they're a bit dodgy tonight, you can correct me afterwards. But it is good to see you. It's good to have our brother Philip Cameron back with us this morning, this evening. We appreciated uh, his ministry. That'll help too. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> um, so uh, it's good to have our brother Philip back with us. We appreciated his help this morning. And again, we look to the Lord as he would preach the gospel uh, this evening. Then the meetings for the coming week, Wednesday night, 6.45, Searchers, 8 p.m. for Bible study and prayer meeting. And Tom Rice will be speaking again uh, this, uh, this Wednesday evening. We mentioned that the subject was Israel, the land, and the throne. So please remember that. I believe you'll uh, benefit from that. It's very interesting and helpful ministry. So please uh, join us. It's then Thursday, 10.30 in the morning, Tiny Tots. Then Saturday evening, 6.30, is Sports for Christ. And that's for primary school age children. That takes us through then to next Sunday, 10.15, the Sunday school. And 10.30, as mentioned this morning, the Bible class will be open to adults as well. So it's not just for the young people, it's also for the adults. Come and join with them uh, next uh, Sunday morning at 10.30. And then in the morning, 11.30, Ministry of Word and Breaking of Bread. And Johnny Rice will be speaking. And then the evening gospel service, our brother Daniel. Daniel Reed will be speaking to that. So please remember them as they prepare uh, for next Sunday. We mentioned again the Joy Foundation. They're holding an information evening. That's for upcoming trips. That's in Craig Baptist Church on Saturday the 14th of October. And that's through from 7 through to 9 p.m. And that's quite an informal time. Just come and go and join with the friends down there next Saturday evening. And then Kilday Baptist Church, their annual praise service. That's tomorrow evening. Uh, Monday evening at, nine, uh, at 7.45. Uh, please again remember that. Lawrence Kennedy will be speaking and Denver Wilson will be singing. Also mentioned this morning just that uh, Rathrine Baptist Church, they're opening the new buildings on Saturday the 21st of October and everyone is invited uh, to that. Again, also mentioned, that it's worth mentioning again tonight because it's only just a week or so away, uh, the Christian Institute, they're holding uh, that special information night. That's in Tully Glass House Hotel. That's on Monday the 16th, so that's Monday week, 8 to 9 p.m. And it's I'll not give the details of it, but it's a relationship in sexuality education in Northern Ireland schools, and it's really just about the consultation process that will be in place regarding that. A lot of information about if you, how you can uh, withdraw your children from that, young people from that, so please keep that in mind. I think that'll be a very, probably a few of us might travel up, so if you're thinking of wanting to go up and you might speak to me, I probably plan to go up to that and uh, speak to me, and we can almost even can travel up together this Monday night week. Uh, from it'll be 8 to 9 p.m. up in the Tully Glass House Hotel. I think that's all the announcements this evening. Always made subject to the Lord's will. Well, thank you, Brian. Uh, this morning I asked her brother if he would be prepared to give a word of testimony this evening. He'd gladly do that. He's known to a few of us here, uh, but not to too many. So I've asked him if he'd come and I'd share a little uh, of his upbringing. I do know is pastoring a church in Monkstown, which is in Newton Abbey, if you're just not sure where that is. But he'll, he'll go right back and he'll share how the Lord uh, called him into full-time ministry. So we'll ask him to come and give a word of testimony just now. Thank you. Good 
It's not often I get the opportunity to give my testimony, but I was asked to do it on Wednesday night, and here I'm doing it again this evening. So it's like all the buses, they never come and then two come at once. But I'm glad I'm saved. And uh, I'm sure you're relieved after I've preached here this morning that I'm saved. Uh, You know, life is a journey. And you see this book, it's full of journeys. You think about it. God has given doctrinal statements through the likes of Paul and, and statements of Jesus and so on. But if you want to see what they really meant, you'll see it in all the journeys of all the people throughout the Bible. And I think that's a good way to keep yourself right when you read unusual statements uh, of a doctrinal nature. Go and find that in the journeys of people and nations, especially Israel in the word of God. So I was born into a Christian home. It didn't make me a Christian, but that's where my journey began. On the 23rd of December, 1900, and none of your business. (laughs) My mum and dad were a godly couple. They wouldn't appreciate me saying that. They're both in glory now. Uh, they would be too shy, too humble. But the seven of us in the family who watched them, oh, they weren't perfect. But we were left with this unshakable conviction that mother and father were walking with God. They both prayed audibly. Now, if you have seven of a family, you're not going to have much time to pray together. But they did pray audibly when they did pray. And uh, we can still remember as a family their prayers and how they would uh, passionately pray, not only for us, but for so many people and so many things. And uh, we were convinced from a very early age, if we'd never heard the gospel, we were convinced that God was real and that what they had was real and that the Lord Jesus was very much part of our family. In fact, I can say this, he was always put first. And that's the upbringing I had. Well, we were sent to Sunday school. My father was an elder, the Sunday school superintendent. My mother taught Sunday school. And uh, we certainly had been brought up in that environment. But we went to a wee hall up a back street. And I didn't know anything other than that. That was, that was it. That was our life. We practically half lived there. And one day at school, my world was shaken. Because this fella in my class come up to me and I don't know uh, where it came from but he says you don't go to a real church and that's quite a shock to hear that because you know all you've known is this world that revolved around your particular assembly and the dedication of your family to that place and then to be told you don't go to a real church and it's funny how the devil can plant a thought in your mind and then fill you with doubts And I remember what it did for me, it started in me a curiosity for, well, what is a real church? And the type of place that he went to. And I had a fascination with going to see inside church buildings if they were open. And still to this day, I still find if I go somewhere and there's an open church, I go in and have a wee look. But it created in me this idea that there's a possibility that what I'm being told isn't right. That's the problem. Anyhow, I could fill you in with a lot of things that happened, but something did happen. A gospel mission came to the town of Balamoni, and it was conducted by a man you might just have heard of, the older people would have heard of, the Reverend Sam Workman. Well, I was astonished because our family were going to that mission, and here's the thing, he was a reverend. And he wore a round collar. So this sparked my interest. And of course, if you know anything about Sam Workman, when you got to the meeting, you know, I discovered he was preaching the exact same gospel that I had heard. And it was during that mission in January of 1979, I'll not tell you what age it was, that the Lord really spoke to me. But something happened. A hymn was sung. And I hadn't heard that hymn before. Now it was in our hymn book and quite possibly it was sung. And I'm quite musical and it's strange that I hadn't picked up on it. And the hymn was sung, 
during the mission. And you know those tunes that kind of get under your skin and everywhere you go, it's in your mind. And I would have been picking it out on the piano. And, and it was the hymn almost persuaded. And of course, those words are taken from Paul's encounter in the book of Acts in chapter 26 when he's giving his own testimony in front of the great and the good. And the response comes back, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And if you work your way through the, the hymn, it's really a wake-up call, isn't it? Almost, but lost. And I couldn't get that out of my mind. And it was because of things like that all coming together and the power of God at work in my life that God spoke to me and that I was saved. Now, I never spoke to Sam Werper. In fact, it was years later that both of us were taking part in the same meeting that I told him that I had trusted the Lord at his mission. And that was just the beginning. Well, you mightn't think to look at me that I was shy, but I certainly was a very timid wee fellow. And we had a, a pastor when I was younger, and he could get me to do nothing. Everybody else would go up and do a reading or whatever. He'd get me to do absolutely nothing. And he called me Timid Philip. And in, in spite of that, I did take my stand. And I took my stand at school. And in those formative years, I was blessed by this that happened to me. And I would encourage you to do this if you're raising a family here. And that was that I was given plenty of good books that were biographies. Now, they were designed for a younger person. And the wee story that I told today, I told that for a reason, because it was in hearing stories like that and reading about people like George Muller and C.T. Studd and, and, and reading how God worked miraculously in providing for their every need by faith. My mother was given a tape and, of course, she played it in the home, and I was listening. And it was the testimony of a woman called Marie McCarroll. And I don't know if you've heard of Marie or not. She's from Lurgan. But she did go out as a missionary to South Africa and to Canada. And I was just captivated by Marie's testimony of how she needed money to go to Bible because she didn't have it and how she just had an encounter with a person and the money that he gave her added to the exact amount of money that she had in her purse was exactly what she needed for a Bible college fee. And she went on and on. And this living by faith and this idea that God can do anything and he can be trusted completely was instilled into my heart and life. So get your youngsters good books like that. And they'll realize there is a God who is real and who's interested and can meet every need. So that was planted in my mind. But also, in these testimonies and books, I discovered that people wouldn't do anything unless God told them. They didn't just ask God for the stuff they didn't have. They also went to God for his uh, guidance, his leading what is your will, Lord, in all of this? And this is something now that in pastoral work, I've, I'm, I'm quite shocked still to discover how few Christians ask God about anything. And then when they're in a mess, they don't want to admit that they never asked the Lord or prayed about things. I was convinced in the biographies and testimonies that I heard that God would speak to me through this word. And I've proved that. God will speak to me and he will show me what I should do. Well, I was interested in going to Bible college, but I'm still a young person. And in my mind, I'm always thinking, I'd love to go to Bible college. But it didn't really happen that way. I remember saying, I'll not go, Lord, unless you show me clearly that I'm to go. And that's how it was. I, I, every time it would come round when I got a wee bit older to the starting dates for Bible college, I would go, Lord, you know I'm willing to go. You know I would love to go. You know I would need to go. And I never, ever got a word. But in my mind, I still knew, don't take that step unless God shows you. 
Because you'll come a day when you'll maybe need, I didn't come from a wealthy family, you'll maybe need God to supply your college fees. You'll need God to meet your need. And how will you ever come to him and ask him if you went down that route without his approval? And many people today do things, they set up in business, they do all kinds of things, they they choose even their career path and they never ask God what he would like them to do. Well, I got a job in an office and the hours were really good, which meant that I could do a lot of things in church. And I was completely sold out with regard to our fellowship. We had a Bible study on a Tuesday night, a youth meeting on a Wednesday night, and a prayer meeting on a Thursday night, and I was at every one of them, as well as the Sunday services, never missed. And I wish I saw that commitment today, I have to say, in young people in church life, but that was me. I was also able then to go and do camps and youth weekends and, and all kinds of things, and I threw myself into all of that, and I kept thinking, well, if the Lord sees that I'm faithful in little things, he maybe trusts me with greater things. But then in the mid-90s, I had a career change, and of course, uh, somebody once came to me and said, we'd like you to come and work for us, and that's a, a whole long story. But in that process, I got nothing from God, and I went back to them and said, do you know, I don't think this is for me. Then they came back a while later, and uh, maybe a couple of months later, and they said, have you thought any more about it? And I thought I'd put it to bed. I'm sure they would have got someone else. And as I was reading from the Word, just in my daily readings, I came to Jonah chapter 2 and read, the Word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go. And it was just as if that was written for me. And that's how it is. That's how God speaks. It leaps out of the page at you. And it's specific to the thing you're seeking him for. And so I went uh, down that route. It was the interior design business. And I went and worked there for a short time. And then an opportunity came to go into business myself. And again, I thought, Lord, this is a big thing. Nobody in our family has ever done anything as daring or as risky or as entrepreneurial as that and and I'm still this timid fellow you have to remember and I sought the Lord about it and just again in my daily Bible readings I came to Acts chapter 8 and verse 26 now this is pretty specific because where we were going to start the business was in Balamina and I lived in Balamoni so that's south of Balamoni and here's the verse the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south. And I got that phrase again from two other unconnected sources. And I knew that the Lord was saying, Go ahead. Now, I was terrified. But here's the thing. I knew I had got his word for it. And that's important. I'll tell you why. Because whenever I went into business and we worked for so long, that was about the year 2000. It reached then March of 2007 and my father, he took ill and uh, he needed then to be uh, looked after and I, because I was self-employed I was able to do all that. I was able to take that time and, and do things. But he had only passed away a few weeks whenever I ended up in the hospital myself and ended up having surgery and then I got MRSA from that and uh, I'll tell you that's not that pleasant when you're waiting for a 11 stitch wound to heal and then 2009 the UK economy crashed and we had the big recession of then I don't know if there's anyone here who was affected by that but certainly I was and it was just one thing after another after another and of course work just dried up people just stopped building houses people just stopped spending money show homes and all all dried up and we struggled on and struggled on so long using all of our savings so that we could keep the few folk who worked for us in employment but then it reached the point where I never ever wanted to owe anybody anything and I said no I have to stop now before we would be in bankruptcy and we did and I think the business was closed with something like £148 in the, blank, in the black, which isn't a great deal to show for about 10 years 
of work. But here's the thing. I was quite disillusioned, as you can imagine, but I went to the verse. This is why it's important to get a verse. I went to the scripture the Lord had given me, and it was Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Now, I only read you part of that verse. I'm sure you sons of the prophets here detected that. Here's the whole verse. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And really what the Lord had shown me through that was, I knew you were going to end up in a wilderness experience. I thought he would be glorified, you see, through the success of that business. But he had another plan. I came across the writing of George Matheson, the blind theologian who wrote the hymn, O Love That Wilt Not Let Me Go. And he said that God is not only glorified in our successes, but also in our pain and how we handle it and how we pass the tests. Well, it was a dark time, as you can imagine, having to go to the job centre, having never done that before, having earned my own money and having to go there. But I now know what it's like for folk who've had to do that. I know what it's like to go to the hole in the wall to see if there's enough money there to put petrol in the car. I remember I was singing in the male voice choir at that time and, and I was so embarrassed and yet I was moved because the men would always take their car whenever we went to events. People were so kind. I remember <clears throat> an envelope coming through the door, just a gift from the Lord. And David and Myrtle Scott were very good to me during that time, I have to say. And in that time, as a member of Port Rush Baptist Church, and David and Myrtle were there quite a bit, the opportunity started to increase for me to preach. Now, I did say, even though I was going through the mill, I did say to the Lord, whatever opportunities I get, I have time to do them, and I'll do them. I would have been down at Lawnfield House in Newcastle quite often with DCF. That opportunity came up. I was working in uh, helping the faith mission in their open airs in Newcastle for a number of years on the open air team. That opportunity came up and away I went. I could list you a whole catalogue of things, camps. I knew how hard that is. And I did it. Even though my heart was breaking, even though I kept saying, Lord, what's going on here? Even though I said, Lord, I was prepared to go into full-time work for you. And here I am. I did what you asked me to do. But in all of the working an opportunity came up to go and preach in Kilray Baptist Church. And then another opportunity came, and then they were asking me for, would you do a series of midweeks, and then would you do a whole month of meetings? And one day, one of the elders came to me, and he said, did you ever think about full-time work? <laughs> did you ever think about full-time work? I thought of half my life I've thought about it, but it never happened. And he says would you talk to us sometime? And I said, certainly. And I remember going away thinking, you know, they'll, they'll have a wee interview and they'll, they'll discover that I'm not right for them and that'll be that. I was just so used to disappointment at this stage. And as I was reading, I read this in Joshua chapter 1, just again, uh, in, a, in a not something I contrived or I went looking for. I was actually reading a book in church history and this verse was in the book at the chapter where I was. And here's what it read. Arise and go from the wilderness. I will be with thee. Well, the interview was arranged and I said uh, to the guys, how many elders have you? I was afraid there'd be this whole board of people to maybe elders and deacons. And, and said, oh, there's just the three of us elders. And before I went to that meeting, here's what I read from Acts chapter 10, verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord said, Behold, three men seek for thee. Arise, go with them, doubting nothing, 
I have sent them. Three elders. And there's the verse. And eventually the call came to Kilray and I was there for six years and I'm jumping across this a wee bit. And then before I finished the six years, the Monkstown Church did a very cheeky thing. I was only four years in from Kilray and one of the elders in Monkstown lifted the phone and said, would you consider being interested in coming to Pastor Monkstown? And I thought, only done four years and uh, I really didn't feel it was time but interestingly enough we arranged to meet because I said to them well look I mightn't be right for you so let's just get get an interview straight away and you can ask me this that and the other because I mightn't be right for you maybe my views aren't entirely yours and you can discount me straight away and it'll save a lot of time and, and, and the church being anxious and so on and they met with me but just the night before I was to meet them something unpleasant happened in, in the Kilray Fellowship that affected me and I was really hurt and I remember going home that night and saying Lord it would be very easy for me to say this is my get out but Lord I still won't go unless you tell me to go even though I had this verse from the previous uh, call and I and 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 knew I was to be in Kilray I, I wasn't going to move unless the Lord also gave me his word to go well the three men from Monkstown arrived that next morning at the manse in Kilray and they knew nothing of my testimony or my history not a thing and Morris Flanagan who's now with the Lord was the first on the doorstep and you know what he said now there was three of them and he says behold three men seek for thee arise go thou with them doubting nothing he had no idea that verse had any significance to me and I could feel the hair in the back of my neck stand up and I thought oh lord you're quite right I thought it was the McCooies as well when I was going to Monkstown and, and uh, I thought Belfast how would I ever work or fit in there but even though that was the case I still get no other confirmation from the word myself. Nothing. Now the Lord did give me plenty regarding the issue that I had felt hurt by. Plenty of verses about that. But nothing about going to Monkstown. So some time passed and, uh, and then I, eventually the elder rang me back and I said, look, I have no clear leading and I can't go unless I do. And he said, that's fine. Then, the beginning of the following year, he rang me again. And really, I had put all notion out of my head. And when he rang me, we had had a rather tragic death in Kilray. And the body of the individual still hadn't been recovered. And I was with that family every day. And I remember saying to Morris, Morris, I don't think the Lord would expect me to be considering a call at the minute. This has really taken up all my spiritual energy. And he understood. So that was now the second time I'd turned him down. But after that, whenever I'd put the phone down, I remember looking back to the call to Kilray. And I knew where I was in my daily readings, my one-year Bible, whenever that message came through about three men seek for the arise and go thou with them. And it was the month of May and it seems odd but this is, this is how it worked I said Lord if a church approaches me in the month of May I'll know it's of you it, it seems like a strange thing but it was what came into my head at that time and I put it out of my mind and thought nothing more of it Thursday the 18th of May Monkstown rang again and I thought, oh Lord, this is just too, this is beyond coincidence. I know what I said, and now this has happened. I still wanted to get a word from the Lord. And a few days later, the 23rd of May, I read this in Psalm 118. I called upon the Lord, which is what I was doing. And he answered me and set me in a large place. And that very day I met with a couple of friends. Now, I never ever discussed any of the calls with anybody, even my family. 
But I did say to them in conversation, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord about something. That was all. And I said, would you pray that I would get the verse I got this morning, that I would get it again? Well, the very next day, after speaking to them, my Old Testament portion was, he sent from above, he brought me forth into a large place. Just a few days later, not even from the book of Acts, as I supposed, 2 Kings 8 and 1, arise and go. I had got all of that and I knew before Monkstown even voted that I should be there. But after they did vote and the call came, I still said, Lord, I'm going on a wee holiday here and I'm going to take this time aside to really seek you and I want you just to confirm everything because I think it's good after the call to get a final confirmation and this is how our wonderful God works I went to Torremolinos on my own, I'd never gone on my own holiday before in my life I was in a hotel I came down to the dining room and a wee man came down and sat at the table right next to mine and I looked at him for a minute or two and I thought I, I know you and the more I looked at him, because whenever you're in your holiday gear, you don't always look the same. And it was a long time since I'd seen him. And even, look, he wouldn't have recognized me. The last time he saw me, I was about eight. He had been one of my former pastors. His wife had passed away, and he was on his own. And whenever I went over and spoke to him, and uh, we went over old times, I said, I'll tell you why I'm here and what I'm doing. And he started to share that he did something similar and he went over to England and he went into a Baptist church and he talked about the man got up and he opened the Bible and do you know something, folks? The passage that that pastor had got years ago in a church in England that he shared with me at a hotel in Torremolinos was from Acts chapter 8. And I could have dropped and I just went up to my hotel room and I says, Lord, you brought a man from Northern Ireland to Tormalinus to the table right beside me to confirm your word. Why? Because I'm the type of person who believes that God can do it. And God met that faith. And I've five and a half years now done in Monkstown. Dear, help them. We have a wonderful God. Seek him. He's worth seeking. And make sure you get a word from him. I probably said far too much in the testimony, so I'll make my comments in the gospel brief. <laughs> Do you want to say? I'd like to thank Philip, certainly on your behalf. It's been a lovely word of testimony. Very often when you ask folks to give their testimony, they spend a long time up until uh, the Lord saves them. But tonight it's been the other way round in a sense. And it's lovely to hear how the Lord has brought all those circumstances together. And we see a very clear leading of the Lord. I know your testimony, brother, will be instrumental and be a great blessing to many in our gathering this evening. So thank you. Let's change our positions just for one verse. 376. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. How he left the realms of glory for the cross on Calvary. Just verse 1 of 376. And then Philip will come and preach the word. Well, just for the remaining hour, 
we'll turn to the very first book in the Bible, the very first chapter in the Bible, the very first verse in the Bible. And you hardly need to turn it up, I suppose, do you really? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. I just want to take some of the events of the creation story, and I want to weave the gospel in and out through that, if, if I may. And I think of the conversion of a person, the, the story of someone's transformation and translation from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his own son. It's summed up for us by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. So even the story of what God does in saving us, there's a parallel with creation. And whenever I look at Genesis 1 and 2, I see what the condition was before God started to work. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Really what's being described there is a before and after picture. And the before is rather bleak because it's a picture of emptiness and darkness. I wonder does somebody feel like that? I wonder, in your testimony, as you look back, is that what your testimony was in the before? It was emptiness and darkness. Maybe some of you were saved very early in life, and uh, perhaps when you got saved, that you, you had done a great deal. I can tell you that in, even in my young life, I knew I was a sinner. There was certainly a before and an after for me. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he lists all the most heinous things and then he goes down and says this here and such were some of you but the verse doesn't end there does it but you're washed so they had a before and after experience emptiness you know one of the great tactics of the devil tonight and it's why our gospel meetings are so poorly attended, is that he fills up people's lives. And he makes them feel that there's plenty going on. And, and that means they have little or no time to, to sit and think. No real thinking time. And that's the great difference in the difficulty it is for us to evangelize in the 21st century compared to those 50 or 60 years ago. We did a, a series of 13 Tuesday nights studying all the histories of revivals in, in the UK and some in the, in, in the States. And you just realize that, that the simplicity of life that there was during the time of most of those revivals. And today, that landscape's very different. We are never very far away from what's called electronic noise, be that what's being played as you're shopping or in the open streets, in your car, in your earpods and, and buds and, and in, in your phone and a whole list of things. We're just being bombarded with voices, whether it's things we're listening to in podcasts or music. Everywhere is electronic noise. And of course the devil is the prince of the power of the air, isn't he? Emptiness. He fills our lives up, but then disappoints in the end. He robs us of the things that would be most satisfying and most fulfilling. Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly, life to the full. Oh, there is pleasure in the world. Moses admitted to that. But he made a choice one day that he'd rather suffer, suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of, the, of sin for a season. Although he recognized there was pleasure in the world, he also recognized it can come up short. And how many people in seeking pleasure ended up feeling empty? 
The lie of the devil is that Jesus is the thief. The lie of the devil is that Jesus is the killjoy. The lie of the devil is that the Christian life is miserable. And yet we can testify tonight that Jesus gives and he gives and he gives again. He fills and he satisfies. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. And that's real riches. Things that earthly money can't buy. The peace of God that passes all understanding that Paul talked to the Philippians about. Peter talked about the joy, unspeakable, inexpressible, and full of glory. Happiness is really just an absence of sorrow or pain or misery. But this inexpressible, unspeakable joy is is a joy that we shouldn't have when we think of what we're going through. When we look at it in the context of adversity, And yet it's still there. And it doesn't require words. Yes. Emptiness. And darkness. Colossians 1 and 13. The Lord has delivered us from the power of darkness. And has translated us into the kingdom of his son. It's in accordance with Isaiah's prophecy. Way back in 9 and 2. The people that walked in darkness. Seen a great light. Again Peter 1. Peter 2 and 1. That we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness. Jesus makes a very sad point though in that connection when he says, This is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So there's the situation. Emptiness and darkness. In creation, and isn't that so true with regard to the soul? But then we read this in Genesis 1 at the end of verse 2. The Spirit of God moved. And at the beginning of verse 3, and God said. I'm glad the Spirit of God moves. And he's still moving in people's hearts and lives today. I'm glad that God still speaks today. The God who spoke to me as as a young child still speaks today. The God who moved by convicting me still moves in conviction today. We were, I mentioned we were talking about the the different revivals and the histories of revivals. God moved when people didn't expect it. There were hardened coal miners. And the picture is painted of them standing with the tears streaming down their blackened faces under the conviction of sin. Near where I was brought up is the Irish Society School in Coleraine where children went out into the playground convicted with sin down on their knees crying to God for mercy and the very people walking past the railings of the school hearing them also were broken by the power of God and cried unto God for mercy. The Spirit of God still moves and God still speaks. Yes, he speaks through his word, of course, but he also speaks through circumstances. He speaks through the lives of others. We are epistles, known and read of all men. So, emptiness and darkness, that's one thing. But God moves and God speaks. Then the end of verse 3. Let there be light. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, the God of this world, that's a small g, it's speaking of the devil. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Is there a battle going on in your mind even in this meeting tonight or listening to this recording the God of this world the devil doesn't want you to come to the light because that light will show you up for what you really are before a holy God 
That light will also manifest Jesus as your only hope. And the devil would rather keep you in the dark. Paul explained this again when giving his testimony in Acts 26. That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people. The light of the gospel. What's that? Well, the gospel message is simply this. We've offended God. And every day that we live without him and every day that we reject him, we are offending him more and more. But Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, died for our sins. Took the judgment we should have faced for offending that wonderful, gracious, merciful, long-suffering God. And Jesus died for those sins. And he absorbed all of God's wrath that was towards us eternally. It has all been exhausted in Jesus. And all we have to do is accept what he did for us. And we're forgiven eternally. Yes. Empty. In darkness. But not left that way. The spirit moves. God speaks. And the light comes in. Is that somebody here tonight? Is that a word for you? The light that shone on Philip Cameron can shine on you this evening and I trust and pray that that will be the outcome of this meeting. Somebody will be able to say as Apostle Paul did on the Damascus Road, I saw a light. And may the Lord come to you in that way tonight for his honour and glory. Our closing hymn wasn't chosen by me and it's number 300. Are you surprised at that? The hymn that spoke to me in my testimony, I made, I made that known to nobody in this building. And whenever I saw the number, I just thought, thank you, Lord. I was supposed to say that tonight. So God's here. God's here. This might be somebody's last opportunity. Don't let it pass by. And we stand as we sing.
Father, we thank you that we don't have to leave here almost, but we can leave here altogether persuaded. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have brought your word into line with what was said tonight and even the choice of this hymn. We believe you're at work and yet we shudder to think that somebody might leave here almost. Speak, we pray, even when the preacher's voice is silent and work powerfully on in the lives of those who have heard this message. And we want, O God, to give you all the glory Part us with your blessing. Take us safely to our homes. And you know the situations that many people here will meet as they open the door of their home. And we pray that they will sense your presence with them there. For Jesus' sake. Amen.